What is up, divers? Welcome in to the Deep Dive Fantasy Football Podcast, where I take a deep analytical look at fantasy football and combine it with a common sense approach to lead us to some titles. I'm your host, Brandon Gabor, and before we get started, remember you can follow me on Twitter at Deep Dive FF, Instagram at Deep Dive Fantasy Football, and as always, check out the website, deepdivefantasyfootball.com, which is always popping during the offseason. With that being said, let's get to the content. What's up, divers? Welcome into Deep Dive Fantasy Football. We have a week of playoffs now in the books. If you had a team in the playoffs, I hope they won. And uh, just shout out to my Bucks fans out there. Shout out to the Bucks organization. Finally, first time ever getting to watch my team first off in the playoffs and then getting a win. It was ugly, super ugly. I was actually frustrated most of the game because... Uh, my biggest pet peeve in sports is drops, and when Chris Godwin was, had five drops and was dropping things all over the field, I was losing it, um, but, you know, it was, a, it was a dirty win, it, at least we got the win, that's all that matters, and I fully expect a very nice bounce back performance versus the Saints, so just, you know, on the Bucks side of things, I'm super excited, but aside from that, I've been telling you guys for a while now that I was eventually going to do my deep dive into DJ Chark and Jerry Judy, see what happened this season, why, you know, in different respects, both of them had down years, had disappointing performances, and we're going to do that now. We're going to get into that now. I'm honestly not sure if this is going to be a long podcast. Obviously, you know if it's going to be long or not because you see the time, but I'm going to start with DJ Chark. And the biggest thing with DJ Chark that was confusing is because we already had a year under his belt of him doing good and that was last year this year he struggled and so the first thing that came to my mind was that we should probably compare last year when he was really good to this year and the first thing I wanted to look at was him himself how was he what were his personal stats you guys remember the stats I like to use when it comes to receivers and running backs and how I like to use the stats that kind of isolate the skill of the wide receiver or running back or whatever position we're discussing separate from their supporting cast, separate from their situation, separate from their team. So that's what I'm doing again. That's what I wanted to look at first with DJ Chark. So I looked at true catch rate, right? So we're going to go through a couple things starting with true catch rate and compare last year to this year. So last year, DJ Chark's true catch rate was 77.7%. This year, it was 80.3%. So it got better. Now, what about separation? In 2019, last year, separation on average was 1.49 yards this year 1.6 yards once again an improvement in his personal stats all right contested catch rate let's throw up another one last year 25.8 percent of his contested balls he's caught this year he caught 58.8 percent of his contested balls all right this is really weird he had a a much worse year this year but all of his personal stats so far are way better Yards per route run. Now, this is the only one out of the four that we just discussed. Yards per route run is the one that is somewhat dependent on your situation because it's how deep are the routes that you're running and how often are you being targeted. But his yards per route run last year were 2.05. This year was 1.47. But he wasn't connecting on a lot of the deep balls this year. And so that was a big reason for that drop off. So when you're looking at his personal numbers, right, true catch rate up, separation up, contested catch rate up, all of these things improved. That means DJ Chark, as a wide receiver, was creating more separation and had better hands this year than last year. So 
why was he worse? Right? To me, this has to point to external factors. It has to. It's not on DJ Chark. Maybe, we'll, and we'll get to it, maybe there are some things that could be on DJ Chark. But overall, DJ Chark was a better receiver. So it's not his fault, which will set us up for my conclusion later on on DJ Chark. So I said, all right, external factors, what can we look at? First off, I thought of injuries. And you might be saying, well, if he was injured, then shouldn't his personal stats be worse? I'm looking at the injury from a different side. And this could cause his route timing to be off. So his catches could be, you know, his catch percentages could be higher. He could be having better hands and more separation. But let's say he's injured and, you know, his get off is slower and he's getting to his route stem, the top of his route or his break points when he puts his foot in the ground and changes direction slower than usual. And he's still creating a lot of separation and he's still catching the balls that are thrown to him. But maybe if he's hurt, right throughout the season the timing is off between him and the quarterback so I was like all right let's look at injuries that could be definitely something chest and back injuries in week two ankle injury in week 11 and he injured his ribs or sorry ankle injury in week five and then he injured his ribs in week 11 so he had chest back ankle and rib injuries throughout the season so he did have you know a whole bunch of different things nagging at him and that's honestly that that could be silver lining because if his separation was better and he was playing through all of these things that's just you know arrow pointing up for the future so that's one thing right that I was looking at another thing that you can look at is after last year's breakout all of a sudden everyone knows about this guy DJ Chark he's this young rising receiver who's had a really good year all of a sudden he saw number one cornerbacks in games way more often this season which could cause quarterbacks to look the other way, which is why his targets could be explained of going down, reducing a full target per game this season compared to last. And then lastly, well, not lastly, but another thing that I looked at was the quarterback shuffle, right? He had LaVisca Chanel, he had Jake Luton, he had Mike Glennon, so many different guys throwing him the ball. And was the quarterback play worse? And lo and behold, boys, we found something. We found something here. So remember, all his personal stats were better. Now let's look at the quarterback stats and how those things could have been different. In 2019, if we look at target quality rating, the target quality rating on Player Profiler, once again, my favorite source, one of my favorite sources to use, especially for statistics, it basically accounts for accuracy and distance, right? So a target is much higher in quality if it's deeper down the field, if it's farther from the line of scrimmage, right? So in that way, you know, just because a target is accurate doesn't necessarily mean it's of a higher quality. So target quality rating is accounting for both accuracy and distance. And in 2019, his target quality rating was 6.5 graded out of 10. This year, 5.4. So that's a pretty significant drop. Now, if you look at quarterback rating, when targeted, right? What was the QBR of the passer when they threw it to DJ Chark? 2019, that was his good year, 105.7. In 2020, 75.9. And remember, it's not because DJ Chark has gotten worse. It's not because he's dropping balls or whatever the case may be, right? It's solely on the quarterback. We know that QBR is affected by whether the receiver catches the ball and how much yards they get and all that stuff. But we also know that DJ Shark was not the problem. So if the QBR dropped that much, 
that's solely on the quarterback or offensive line or whatever, but it's not on DJ Chark. So it shows you that his target quality was worse. The quarterback rating, so all the passes thrown to him, were of a lower standard. And then we also have target accuracy in 2019. Remember, this is graded out of 10 as well. His target accuracy was 6.82. And then the targets thrown his way this year were 6.54. So all three things got worse. That shows that despite the fact that Chark was better when the ball did get to him, the quarterbacks were way worse this season at getting the ball to him. So this was the problem. The problem was not DJ Chark. The problem was the quarterback play. But I was thinking, and you know, I like to do a deep dive, right? That's the whole thing here. Deep dive fantasy football. The thing is trying to find as much as I can. So when I'm looking at this, I'm like, there's got to be another angle. There's got to be another perspective to look at. So why was it that DJ Chark seemed to be struggling more than other receivers, right? Why would he struggle more than all the other receivers? And why would the quarterbacks be worse throwing to him than the other receivers? Well, maybe it's the way that DJ Chark is deployed, right? He is the deep ball guy. And obviously that is a much higher level difficulty throw in the NFL to make when he's running the deep routes and they're inaccurate passes, but then LaVisca's going over the middle and doing shorter routes and stuff. That's much easier to throw, much easier to be accurate on. So that's why the bad quarterback play wouldn't affect the other receivers as much as it would DJ Chark. DJ Chark needs a more competent quarterback throwing him the ball for him to be very efficient. So I said, let's finally just for fun, let's just look at it. Let's compare DJ Chark to LaVisca Chenault. All right, and first, I wanted to look at the personal stats just because you guys know I'm a Chenault truther, and I think he could be the wide receiver one next year. And despite, you know, all of this stuff that I'm finding about DJ Chark, which is increasing my confidence in him being good next year, that does not mean that I'm switching my stance. I still think LaVisca can take over that number one role. He's a more complete receiver, I feel like, and I still think he has better hands. But Let's look at it, right? DJ Chark and LaVisca Chenault. Chenault had a 9% higher true catch rate, 0.4 yards less of separation. So that's one plus and one minus. Then he had a 2% less contested catch rate and a 0.1 yards more per route run. So 50-50 split down the middle. They're pretty close in everything. So both wide receivers are good for the future. And Lastly, the one other thing that gave me pause with DJ Chark was when quarterbacks were targeting LaVisca despite, and this is more of a LaVisca bump than a knock on DJ Chark, if anything, when quarterbacks were targeting LaVisca Chenault, despite his target quality rating being worse than DJ Chark's, they had a 116 QBR. And remember, the QBR to DJ Chark was 75.9, but we were just talking about how it was the difficulty of the routes DJ Shark is running for them to hit and the inaccuracies of the quarterback. They were just more accurate on those medium short routes. But it's just really good to see that even with the target quality rating being worse for LaVisca Chenault, he was still producing. He was still being a very good wide receiver. And, you know, the air is only pointing upward for him. So, And the biggest thing for him coming out of college, the reason why he dropped into the second round in the first place, because a lot of people, like, if you take out injury have a first round grade on him was the injuries because if he wasn't dealing with all the injuries coming out of college 
he would have been a bona fide first round pick. So LaVisca has the talent, and if he stays healthy, I do expect him to take over that wide receiver one role. So lastly, Brandon, lots of stats. I'm giving you guys lots of stats, jumbo, mumbo, whatever, right? What's the takeaway overall? DJ Shark, he improved as a catcher and a separator this year, but whether due to scary coverage or injury or something else, quarterbacks were worse throwing to him, making it harder for him to produce. AKA, DJ Chark will be just fine. But LaVisca may take that number one role from him, which doesn't really hurt DJ Chark if you think about it, because they are in an offense that throws the ball 600 plus times a game. And DJ Chark is, in my opinion, way better suited as a number two big play threat, you know, running medium and deep routes. He's the kind of guy that should be a complimentary receiver that can just kill you, you know, kind of like Will Fuller was with Hopkins there. I think that's the better role for DJ Chark. It'll help DJ Chark produce massively. And LaVisca can be the possession number one wide receiver. So that's what I got on DJ Chark. We also have to get into Jerry Judy. But first, we got to take a break. What's up, divers? Do you enjoy a good workout like me? Do you grind in the gym trying to get built? If so, then you probably know working out is only half the battle with the other half being nutrition. Well, luckily, you can go to BuiltBar.com and get protein bars, 100% daily vitamin packs that mix into your water. I use that all the time. Tastes great. You can get caffeine and protein mixed into one as a pre-workout gel pack. And all of these things help you turn your hard work in the gym into visible results. I use these products myself, and they are great. And I also have a promo code that helps both of us save 10% off with Deep Dive. That's Deep Dive to save 10% off at BuiltBar.com and on any of their products. And my favorite energy protein pack flavor, by the way, if you want to go that route, is the peanut butter honey. Also, if you enjoy the podcast, take a second to pause the podcast right here. That's right. Pause it right here and drop me a rating or review. And if you're feeling super generous, you can choose to support the podcast monthly through the link on the episode page or found in the website podcast section. With that being said, as you know, let's get back to the content. All right, guys, welcome back in. Now we're talking Jerry Judy, and I've got some stats here. I posted a graph on Twitter, um, so you know you can always look at it there if you want it, or you can shoot me a DM. I'll send it to you, whatever the case may be. But we're going to go over a graph here that I put together, or a chart that I put together comparing the Broncos receivers, because when we're looking at Jerry Judy, I thought it would be very helpful to see how the other receivers did. So we're going to go through that, and we're going to start with true catch rate. So Jerry Judy, his true catch rate, he had a lot of drops this season. His true catch rate was 73%, KJ Hamler's was 70%, and Tim Patrick was 91%. So Tim Patrick had by far the best hands. And that continues, that pattern continues if you look at contested catch rate. Tim Patrick's contested catch rate was 52%, KJ Hamler's was 31 and Jerry Judy's was 28 Now, that's just catching the ball. What about separation? What about yards per route run involvement in the offense with that? So Jerry Judy, his separation was 1.64 yards per route, and KJ Hamler's was 2.12 so KJ Hamler had more separation, but I'm not worried about that. That's because he's a small, gadgety guy, and the way he's used plus the speed, it makes sense why his separation was more. Tim Patrick, 1.39. So despite having the best hands, Tim Patrick didn't create much separation. Lastly, we got yards per route run. Jerry Judy, 1.72. 
KJ Hamler 1.31, Tim Patrick 1.8. So far, what I can see from these numbers is that Jerry Judy is clearly going to be better than KJ Hamler for the offense. You know, better hands, um, better yards per route run. He's just getting targeted more when he's running routes. And he's also, I mean, if we just talk about pedigree, he's definitely a better receiver than KJ Hamler, more complete receiver. But Tim Patrick's numbers are something to look at. And lastly, I wanted to look at quarterback stats to these receivers. So maybe Jerry Judy, part of the reason he struggled, maybe the quarterbacks were, you know, not as good when they targeted him compared to other receivers. So I thought that would be something good to look at as well. So let's look at look at the quarterback stats of target accuracy, QBR when targeted, and target quality. So the accuracy of the targets thrown to Jerry Judy by all the Denver quarterbacks was 6.06. All right, that's pretty bad. 6.06 out of 10. KJ Hamler was 6.65. Tim Patrick was 6.36. So Jerry Judy was receiving the least accurate targets. Now let's look about look at the quarterback rating of the um, the passes to Jerry Judy. So when Jerry Judy was targeted, the QBR was 58.7. That is atrocious. You got to remember QBR is out of 158.3. So a 58.7 is super bad. KJ Hamler was 70.6, not great, but better than Judy's. And then 104.5 to Tim Patrick. So for some reason, when the quarterbacks are throwing the ball to everyone else, they were throwing better balls. And, you know, we're going to talk about, I'm actually going to have a special guest on. We're going to talk about, you know, if there's other factors that could influence that. And maybe it's not that cut and dry and it's not that simple. But lastly, we have target quality. Right, this is a combination of I think I explained this already for DJ Shark, but target quality is basically a combination of the accuracy of the target, also how far from the line of scrimmage it is, because that determines, you know, the quality of the target. If it's deeper down the field, it's a high of a higher quality. So Jerry Judy's target quality, four point two. KJ Hamler's this is out of ten. KJ Hamler five point four. Tim Patrick five point one. So in all three metrics, target accuracy, QBR when targeted, and target quality, Jerry Judy was, you know, receiving the worst of it out of the three receivers. So that's something interesting. And with that said, I think it's uh, it's time to bring on our guest. This is something that I, I recorded a little bit earlier. Um, so this is uh, me and Frank. I hope you guys enjoy it. I decided that, you know, bringing somebody on with a better understanding of the Broncos than me, you know, a fan of the Broncos who's watched every stat or every snap would be very helpful. So here we go. Here's the call live. And uh, that'll wrap up the podcast. All right, guys. So we've talked about Jerry Judy to a certain extent already. Have you got, I've given you guys the stats, the comparisons between Judy, Hamler, Tim Patrick, all of that stuff. But I figured that it would be nice to get an opinion from someone who's watched every single snap. And that is what I have on, who I have on with us right now, Frank, Broncos fan. How's it going, man? Good. How's you doing today? I'm good, man. I appreciate you coming on. It's always nice to have a fresh perspective, and uh, you've definitely watched more of Judy than I have. So um, the the first question I have for you is that: Do you feel like the Denver quarterbacks, when they were throwing to Jerry Judy, were throwing worse balls compared to the other receivers on the team? Because I looked over the stats and. I've talked to the listeners about it already, and it does seem that the targets have been worse, but there are definitely things that can influence that. So what, what's your inf- take on that, basically? Yeah. You know, I a lot of people want to blame 
you know, lock for everything about what happened this year. But, you know, there's a lot of things that go into consideration with this is one is, like I said before, I don't think the play calling was the issue. I just think it's more of a familiarity issue is number one is, you know, Denver did have a lot of injuries this year. So a lot of people do forget that, that you had 13 players that were on IR. I mean, and at one time, and they were saying that the, the rest of the AFC West had 15 total. I mean, so at that point, right off the bat, you're, you're at a disadvantage. Um, I do think that when, you know, you take into consideration the pressure that Locke was under and the fact that the receiving core is what really took a big hit this year, that, you know, Jerry Judy did draw the number one DB, you know, right off the bat. So I, I do think that has a lot to do with a lot of things. And as compared to some of the other rookies, because, you know, you're getting, you're getting uh, graded against other rookies on what they've done. And a lot of these guys have a better receiving cores this year as compared to what it looked like on paper before the year started. Yeah. So I do think a lot of the different things, example, in Dallas. It's a perfect CeeDee example. Lamb, Cooper and Gallup. C.D. Lamb drew who? Yeah. He drew the number two, number three DB, the linebacker. He drew the safety, and that's it. And so he, he you know, and he can out, you know, jump them, maneuver them, get out – when people were getting hurt, you know, he was, uh, Judy was drawn, I feel like the number one guy. So I think that that had a lot to do with it. There's a lot of other things, but I think that it's not just that. I just do think a lot of the injuries and a lot of the familiarity had a lot to do with it. Yeah. And I, I think number one corners is something especially important to pay attention to because um, earlier in this podcast, we talked about DJ Chark and DJ Chark was somebody that had his breakout season last year and Jerry Judy like DJ Chark is regarded and viewed as by defenses as a very good wide receiver. And so all of a sudden after DJ Chark had that view, kind of like what Jerry Judy had coming out of college just because of how good he was, I feel like that number one coverage really made a difference in DJ Chark having a down year. And it seemed like the quarterbacks when throwing to DJ Chark this year were much worse than last year, probably partly influenced by that. So I think that's a really good point i completely agree with that something to look at because jerry judy definitely has the talent you know we can see it in the separation he's making separation he is targeted a decent amount his true catch rate could use uh some improvement because i'm sure you've seen him have some drops it might have been yeah it might have been frustrating but i mean we see so many guys come in with drops mike evans had drops in the beginning amari cooper had drops in the beginning something that people can get over so the second question that i would have for you is do you or did you see anything from Jerry Judy to suggest that it could be partly his fault in making the quarterbacks look worse? Um, like an example could be like maybe he's not settling down in zones or maybe he's not running routes at consistent speeds. Um, maybe it was a lack of effort. I don't think it was, but I mean, you would know more than me. Um, or was the quarterback play really just that bad? I know that we've already talked about it not being the case. So are there any examples or anything along those lines you could you know, shed light on? Yeah, in in my opinion, after watching, like I said, I you know I did watch every play. I've watched it's every game is DVR. I go back, I watch them, and and see. Here's the thing, and a lot of people forget it's like the Alabama effect, as I've told you before. That I really believe that that's a that's a big thing to look at, and a lot of people don't look at it. Okay, I'll give you an example. Tua does not throw a strong ball. He throws basically flutters. So you go two or three years of that. And then you go to someone like Locke who throws BBs. It's going to take time. Why? Because there's no OTAs. There's no rookie camp. There's no preseason camp. 
you got to get used to the speed. And then on top of that, you have 13 people that were injured, so you are drawing the number one. Remember, Bama, you know, when you're at Bama, you're used to, you know, out-athleting everybody on the field. You have the best line. You have the best running backs. You have the best wide receivers. And so what happens to that defense? They play soft. Okay, so, you know, they're in a nickel. They're in a dime. They're in a prevent. And if you looked at this one, they were up in his face. They weren't worried about getting beat. But in college, you let you let him run free and you let him when he's the best. What Do you think he's better at crossing patterns or flies? He's better crossing down the middle, this, that, and indifferent. You know, so when, when he gets open, that's what happens. And you saw how good he was in the open field once he got the ball in his hands. Yeah, Some, that's definitely something I loved about Jerry Judy in the open field. He's just, he's ridiculous, man. Right, so I do think it took time for him to adjust. But getting back to that, what you were saying about you think some of it his fault, I do think that, that he's not used to getting hit that hard because he he could out athlete people and i do think that it took a toll on him a little bit because i did watch a lot of times his elbows were in tight and this and that and it was like I, if you go slow you could see his eyes kind of shifting a little bit worrying but that's natural i think with anybody that goes across the middle they do mm-hmm. look at that but i do feel that he's used to out athleting people and i think that what happened is you had somebody right in his face and you also had a safety right on top of him so he wasn't used to that because in college, they were you know five ten yards off the line almost every play because they didn't want to get beat for the long ball. Yeah, yeah. So I, I do feel like that had a lot to do with it. And to be honest with you, I do feel like of the rookie receivers, he still has the chance probably to be the best one. When yeah. it's all said and done, I, I wouldn't be surprised with, with the route running for sure. And yeah, if he shores up his hands, and I, I really appreciate you coming on because something that you've said, actually two things that you've said. It's not really something that I considered, and you know, it's it's part of the benefit of having somebody that has watched every snap. And you said two things that that really stuck out to me, and one is the throw power difference between Drew Locke and Tua, what he was used to, kind of seeing like not only a culture shock in the NFL in terms of just how everyone is a grown man and everyone's tougher and everyone's hitting him harder and all of those things, but also the balls are coming in faster, the balls are harder to catch. And he may not have been used to that. And then the other thing that you said about his elbows being in, suggesting that he's like already worried about and already bracing for a hit. I I really like that um, that you were able to to notice that and to point that out for us because that's that's definitely something like very easy for us to just overlook and to not notice. And there are definitely a lot of things different immediately, especially coming from Alabama. I've talked about it with Tua, especially like everyone's hating on Tua, man. He was throwing to four first round wide receivers that were always open. And then he goes to the Miami offense that has guys that get no separation. Like it's going to take time. And coming from Alabama to the NFL is completely, it's just so different. So, I mean, thank you for, for pointing those things out. Cause that's something I didn't think about at all. And I think that's very helpful to think of because those are things I mean, would you agree that those are things that he can get over very quickly, right? Like next year. Yeah, I think he's he's pretty much already over it. I think he went through about a five game span where he was getting hit pretty hard, and and just like anything else, I think it took time. But I did notice that when he was catching the ball more, he started to to bring the ball in tighter to him, and he was getting used to the speed of the ball. That's just my opinion. Like I said, I don't know, but just from watching enough football in all my years. I do know just because I'm a baseball guy and it's the same thing when we had pitchers with catchers, it was the same thing. You had a thumber up there that, you know, that, that threw a lot of junk, but then you got somebody that's popping 88 in there. Those catchers, they they were in, they were hurting. They big difference. Yeah. And, and I do feel like that might've had something to do with it. And, and, you know, the Bama effect, it's like very rarely does a Bama skill player come in and just tear it up. 
they always have a little bit of learning curve. And I think it's because of the fact that, that they're used to out, out athleting people. And then once they get on this level, they're equal or less. Mm-hmm. Because once you said it's, it's, you know, you're talking about grown men and some of them are in their thirties and, you know, yeah. you know and, and they've been around a long time. So they know all the tricks of the trade. Yeah. And then, so the, the last question I would have for you, and then I'll just open it up to you if there's anything you wanted to mention is Tim Patrick. He, he clearly, at least stats wise, and maybe you can, you know, confirm this with the eye test, but stats wise, it seems like Tim Patrick has the best hands on the team. His true catch rate was 91.1%. That's actually one of the higher marks in the NFL overall. And then Judy and Hamler were just about between the two of them about at 71%. So with that being the case, and also Tim Patrick being really good with contested catch balls, catching over 50% of them with Hamler and Judy around 29%, 30%. Would you say um, that Tim Patrick is going to maintain a carved out role in the offense one and then also do you think he will hurt judy in any way when sutton comes back it's almost like it's almost easy for me to forget that sutton is even there in denver after this whole season has gone by but sutton's coming back and that could definitely hurt judy or it might free things up for judy so what is your take on on that and how do you think tim patrick is going to influence that i think at the beginning of next year i think it's going to hurt him a little bit because i think they're going to try to force the ball in they're going to try to force it into Patrick a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Okay. And when you get into the red zone, I really think that he's going to be a real threat next year because now he's not going to be having a lot of double teams. He'll get a lot of, a lot of one-on-ones. You're talking about Judy now or, or Patrick? No, so. Patrick. Okay. So I do think it's going to affect Judy a little bit, but I think by, by fourth, fourth game, maybe I do think that Judy's going to start taking off because if you look at any potent offense, I think if you move him into the slot, and, and he stays to the slot, he's going to pull so many linebacker and so many strong safety coverages mm-hmm. that, that, he, that he is just going to, I honestly believe that he, he should easily be, uh, like I said before, uh, you know, a 75 catch thousand receiver, sure. thousand yard receiver every year. It shouldn't yeah. even be a question. I agree. And, and the thing is, is, is his touchdowns may be down. May, they may not, may not be as high as the other ones because once, once everything goes with Fant, because, you know, at the end of the day, I do think that the key to the whole thing is going to be Noah Fant. Because once he starts, once they start learning how to use him, and I do really think they've started to learn how to use him more, mm-hmm. that, that a lot of these receivers are getting single coverages. And, and that's what I think is going to happen. I do think that as long as Sutton stays healthy, that it's going to help him. But Patrick as a whole, I think it's going to hurt him at the beginning. But then at the end, I do think by the end of the year that he's, he's just going to be, you know, outrageous because if you look at san francisco as i said before look at what they did with brand Nayuk. Yeah. i mean it's like they, they move him all over the field and if they do that with judy i mean because he, he's he's even a better athlete so it's yeah. just going to be one of those things where i feel that once they learn how to do that i i do believe that that that's going to be the key yeah so so what i'm hearing from you is that jerry g might start slow and he's probably going to be a very good fantasy football by low right oh he by by I would say I would say bye by week four. <laughs> All right, sounds good. I, yeah, he's gonna be he's gonna be good because he because he should like I said, three four catches fifty yards on a bad day if as long as he's in that slot, especially if they're dumping off. I yeah, mean, he's, you know he's gonna be able to sit. Under and his footwork in the slot is gonna be amazing. And then once he gets the ball over the middle of the field, he can make people miss and take it. So yeah, that's that'll definitely be a nice a nice fit there. Um, so I guess I actually just thought of this question. I wasn't planning on asking you this, but since I have you here and you are a Broncos fan, 
What okay. is your opinion on Locke? Like, just, you know, not talking for fantasy or anything like that. Just as a Broncos fan, I'm just curious what, like, the consensus is over there. Do you guys want to give Locke another year with Sutton back and hopefully the offense just a little more, like, like just ran a little bit better? Or are you looking to maybe get a Stafford or something? You know, like, what are you guys looking at in the quarterback room? Well, that's that's a lot of questions right there because that's that. that to be honest with you, I'm I'm in the I'm in the camp of this year. You, you, he's it's a free year. He doesn't he shouldn't be judged at all. Personally, I mm-hmm. mean, because you're talking about 13 players. I mean, that's a lot of players that are gone, and and not including that. I mean, you lost Von Miller. You lost your defensive captain, the most vocal party player on the team. He's not even around to get you know. So with that being said. I think he does deserve another year, and if it and if it doesn't work next year, then I think that Denver probably should start looking forward. But once again, if Deshaun Watson or somebody like that or Stafford or somebody came available, you, you may have to really go for it. Yeah, because the the team's not that far off. I mean, they lost two or three games by less than three points. Another two or three games by seven. I mean, it's like they're there. They're yeah, right there. And they had all the injuries too. Plus all those injuries, you know. I really like Stafford. I think Stafford gets a, a I love Staff- I love Stafford. I, I think Stafford is a great quarterback. And if he was in Denver or even somebody like Deshaun Watson, I mean, I, I think that somebody like that would just change that whole team. Same thing with the Gordon Lindsay thing. That's a whole nother issue. You know, mm-hmm. you have to make a decision and figure out what you're going to do. Yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I, I appreciate you coming on. Thank you for the insight. It's definitely helpful. So what I'm hearing is that Jerry Judy, we shouldn't be worried about him, right? I don't, I don't think you have to really worry about him. I think next year that he, he'll be in the 65, 80-yard catch range, and I think he'll be right around 1,000 yards next year. Yeah, I hope so. The, the one thing that does concern me, and this was something, obviously, Sutton ended up getting injured, but when I do my projections for, like, over 250 players, um, I was struggling to like Cortland Sutton this year in fantasy and really just a lot of the weapons in the receiving game because I know Denver, and once again, the injuries kind of changed this too, but I know Denver has a good defense and they had Melvin Gordon, they had Phillip Lindsay. To me, I was looking at this team as a team that would not have to throw the ball that much and would also lean on the run. So I was looking at, you know, the possible volume, like the limit of volume that could go around in the pass offense and kind of had me hesitant. So do you think that the the Broncos, with all the guys returning next year, could be one of those teams that's kind of just, you know, on, I wouldn't say the Tennessee side because it's a completely different type of offense, but, you know, just in that range of teams that are able to just control the clock, play good defense, and not have to pass the ball a lot? Or, or do you think you guys are just going to unleash, unleash uh, the passing offense now that you guys have so many weapons? I, I really believe it has to do with what they're going to do with Lindsey. Because I think he's just totally underutilized in Denver. Yeah. And like, I mean, you can look at the amount of times he touches the ball to the, and compare it to the percentage of how many yards he gets. Up until last year, he got hurt. I think he was like top three of how many yards he gets per. And but he was like thirtieth on number of touches for running backs. It was like amazing. Always underutilized, man. Always underutilized. <laughs> Personally, there, in my honest opinion, there is no way. And this is just me speaking that Philip Lindsay should not have he should not have less than three to five catches every game. Even though he struggles with the drops, I do get that. But I do believe that the more you give it to him, the more he's going to get better. Yeah. And the thing is, is I, I do think that they need to put Gordon and Lindsay on the field at the same time. Who's better? Because for what, running? Who's the better overall running back 
Lindsay or, or Gordon? Um, for the amount of money and what's going on right now, I would take Lindsay. Okay, yeah, one hundred percent. I agree. Because you're giving, you know, you're talking about eight million dollars compared to, you know. <laughs> yeah. All right. What if, what if you throw out the money though? Who's the better running back? I still would take Lindsay. I think All right. He, I, 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 I agree. think that I think the team responds better to him personally. Yeah, I agree. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Frank. If you want to toss out your uh, Twitter handle, you can. So everyone, all the listeners can give you a follow if they feel like it. Yeah, at Fearless Frank. Just hit me up if you have any questions. Uh, we're in a lot of games, Wyckoff, all kinds of different fantasies. So um, if you have any questions or anything like that, I'm always around. So thanks a lot. Thanks for the time and um, go Broncos. <laughs> yes, sir. And go Bucks. Go Bucks. All right. Thanks for joining us, Frank. Remember, guys, that's Fearless Frank on Twitter. And uh, I'll see you guys next time. Hope you guys have a good one. Peace.